You know, I, I love this show for so many reasons. Uh, getting to talk to Dr. Hillary L. Link, who is the first ever female school president of Allegheny College. Uh, but she's also a working mom. And so we talk about that a bit. Uh, but the, the the most interesting part, I think, of the conversation is, is just talking about her experience living overseas and working overseas. Obviously, I'm a, a bit biased because I had the opportunity to do that as well. Uh, but Dr. Link talks about the value uh, of living overseas, how that helped her expand her empathy and her ability to understand uh, from multiple perspectives the challenges she faced, which is an integral part to leadership. Hey, it's Daniel, and welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, a show for ruckus makers, those out-of-the-box leaders making change happen in education. And we'll be right back after these messages from our show sponsors. Learn how to develop your skills to identify challenges, incorporate and support innovation, and plan and drive school improvement in leading schools. A certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Leading Schools runs June 16th to July 14th, 2021. Apply by June 4th at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose virtual PD is equipping thousands of teachers with the skills they need to create engaging, equitable, and rigorous virtual or blended classes. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All students have an opportunity to succeed with Organized Binder, who equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning, whether that's in a distance, hybrid, or traditional educational setting. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. Hey there, Ruckus Maker. I am joined today by Dr. Hillary L. Link, the first female president of Allegheny College. So by the way, that absolutely makes you an official ruckus maker. And Allegheny is, uh, I guess, one of the nation's oldest and most innovative colleges where multidisciplinary learning breaks the conventional mold. Dr. Link is a recognized leader, scholar of Italian language and literature, and globalist. In more than 20 years of experience across a broad range of institutions, she's provided students with a cross-disciplinary path to think critically and communicate creatively. Dr. Link, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. I'm so excited to be here and to be considered a ruckus maker. I love that. Yeah, well, you know, that's an out-of-the-box leader making change happen in education. And I, I think a great place to start is uh, talking about how you live that out, navigating a, a fairly untraditional path to the presidency. So as you say, I mean, my path has been out of the box, literally, um, as someone who very early on in my life, starting in high school, was drawn to the study of language and culture that uh, has accompanied me all throughout my education. And uh, I spent my junior year of college abroad in Italy, in Florence, Italy, and had a life changing opportunity where 
I really came to understand that my place in the world was completely changed. And my understanding of who I was in the world was completely changed by living outside of my own cultural context for a year. And that theme has carried me through. I got a doctorate in Italian literature and have taught, uh, but moved into higher education uh, and really have taken the multidisciplinary approach of my own graduate study, which was all about the intersection between art and literature. Uh, And that's really defined a lot of my career. I had the amazing opportunity after spending 12 years almost at Barnard College in New York City to move my entire family to Rome, Italy for five and a half years, where I served as the dean of Temple University's global campus there. And uh, those five and a half years transformed not just my career and my life and my perspective on my work, but also my entire family's trajectory and how they think of themselves in the world. And so, and from there, Allegheny College uh, offered me the opportunity to come be the first female president, as you said, in 205 years. And uh, because Allegheny's curriculum really meshed so well with my own interdisciplinary approach, it seemed like a really exciting move at the time. So we moved from Rome, Italy to Meadville, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And uh, it sounds like it's a, it's a nice match in terms of our passions and, and interests. And, you know, we, we've had some talks before recording here and I shared how I, I had the opportunity to live and work abroad as well. And I'd love for you to, to share with the Ruckus Maker listing how that perspective and that experience overseas and the value of outside perspectives, you know, what does that look like? How does it show up in your work? So I believe firmly that the advantage I have had of living outside my country, my cultural context has taught me that there are multiple ways to see the world and multiple ways to approach everything from how you express yourself, how you say things, how work is organized, how education is organized. So that carries through and drives everything I do. So whether I'm doing that from Boston, where I grew up, or New York City, or Rome, or now Meatville, what it's taught me is that you can always take a step to another side and see something from a different angle. And you can often see it differently once you've moved yourself. And so to me, that is hugely important in leadership, especially in these incredibly complicated times that we're in. Uh, We have so many huge global intractable problems that you often need to be able to kind of move around an issue and see it from different perspectives to try to see a way forward. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you were talking about just the way people express themselves differently. And I, I think of the quintessential Italian in that, in that moment, you know, when I was in Belgium, uh, the Belgians are, I think the antithesis of Italians in terms of communicating. Uh, so that was, it was, uh, challenging for me, but I loved my experience there. And an interesting side note, 
the majority of my friends in, in uh, Belgium were Italians or Spaniards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can see the type of person you're drawn to. So yeah. I say the same thing that I think there's a part of me that is truly like that more kind of out of the bounds, like drawing outside of the lines type of person. And my passion for Italian language and literature enables me to tap into that piece, whereas the rest of me might be much more buttoned up. And so it's the Italian piece of me that is, I think, the true kind of freer version of who I really am. Yeah, that's 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 wonderful. I really appreciate you sharing you sharing that. And I'm wondering too, like while you were over there, and, and then we'll move on. I'm just curious, like because you have this value that now seeing from other perspectives. Was there a moment uh, that you can point to of, of many? I have many uh, that really challenged your thinking, and, your, and 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 it became real for you in that moment. Of being overseas, you mean? Yeah. So like an example from my life, you know, I just remember the first breakfast we had, right? And and first of all, the breakfast was different, which was fine. But I'll never forget then looking over at the center and seeing a, a, a gentleman with his cron, the newspaper, and a beer. And it was 8 a.m., right? And if you saw that over here, maybe in America, you'd think, okay, maybe this guy has some sort of problem, right? Uh, but over there, that's just the way it is. And it's actually the beers often are cheaper than buying water because you don't get just free water. So there, there's multiple things going on there. But I learned to say how fascinating. It's interesting. You know, let me get curious versus let me judge what's going on here. Yeah. yeah I mean, there are so many examples. And I think what's so interesting about it is that, you know, when you are forced to see your own habits, your own country, your own government, your own ways of doing things from afar, it makes you really think, wait, why do we do things that way? Or why do we have coffee or water instead of beer in the morning? Right? <laughs> Just because we do it, it's that, you know, it, it doesn't mean that everything has to revolve around us. It's like the 16th century scientist, right, who thought that the sun revolved around the earth. But then when Galileo came about, you know, they realized that we're actually revolving the other way. And to me, that's kind of what pushing yourself out of your own comfort zone is all about. Because um, I actually think a more positive example, the Italians have a much better balance between life and work. And I had a big job while I was there. I was the dean of this big global campus. But my Italian life and friends kind of kept me focused on what was really important. So just a silly example. And it sounds like, you know, the cliched, oh, the Italians all take these long lunches and then they go take. It's not true. They do take longer lunches because they believe that sitting at your desk and eating a sandwich that you brought from home is just not what's valuable in life. And Mm. so you do meet people for a two hour lunch, but that's because the human connection Mm -hmm. is so important there. And I will say it's one of the things that I miss, whether it's just meeting someone for a cup of coffee, which is almost like a real tradition in your day Mm. Um, or sitting down for a longer lunch or really finding the balance between you leave work, 
you meet people for an aperitivo, and then you go home for your dinner. It just gives you a better sense of how other people fit work into their lives and vice versa, which sometimes I think we all need to be reminded of. Yeah, uh, especially here in the U.S., that was something I gleaned as well from the experience and that impacted then since I get to create my week, what does work look like? Because uh, maybe I don't want to work all the time and how can I slow things down, make those human connections? And so thank you for sharing that. Uh, So let's talk about the students too at Allegheny. And I know that you produce well-rounded students exposed to multiple disciplines. So what's the approach? How are you able to do that? So, and I have to say, this was the key thing that brought me to Allegheny because Allegheny's mm. whole curriculum is based on this required interdisciplinarity. So all students are required to have a major and a minor in two completely different disciplines. And what that does is it forces you to learn in two different lenses to see the world through two different academic approaches. And it just creates, I've always said that when you combine two completely different fields, what it creates is more than the sum of the two parts. And so you almost develop your own unique approach to seeing the world and to doing your work that is a combination of the two. Uh, And so between That type of teaching and research, all of our students do a major research project, uh, often interdisciplinary. And then the learning that happens outside the classroom, we just provide a very broad educational experience that we find really resonates with today's generation of students, Gen Z, Mm -hmm. where they want to be more than one thing. They don't want to be defined just by the job that they have. And so the approach Allegheny takes is for these very broad thinkers and um, open-minded people who don't want to just be defined by a single major or a single job. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you, maybe I'm putting myself in the situation. I hear that Gen Z is more uh, open-minded, wants a more well-rounded experience. Do you ever get any pushback from a student saying, I'm an engineer, forget about poetry. Like, why are you making me do this? I'm just curious if you do, how you navigate that. So, I mean, I think in part, students understand that this is embedded in the Allegheny curriculum. So the who is drawn to coming to Allegheny knows that they want that broader experience. To be honest, we get it from parents, right? Because I'm a parent of three kids. I get it. Like, what am I, what's my kid going to get on the other side of this? But um, what's so interesting, you know, we hear all the time. And I think as the world speeds up and we hit crisis after crisis, what we hear all the time is that we are currently graduating students into a world where many of the jobs they will have don't even exist yet. And so fundamentally, I think, I think the pendulum is kind of swinging back from a much more vocational, pre-professional training to the understanding that if the world is going to keep changing faster than we can imagine, we need to train thinkers and Mm -hmm. not people specifically skilled only in one thing which is not to say that you don't want people coming out. You know, we do have students do a major research project in a field, but then they also have this other 
minor or second major in a different area, it inevitably forces them to think about the thing they have expertise in differently. Mm -hmm. And so I think fundamentally, it's all about learning to think creatively, to express yourself well, to be a nimble and adaptable and kind of open-minded thinker and worker, whatever field you start out in, because most people will start in something and end up in something completely different. Yeah. I was a classroom teacher, never thought I'd be a building principal. Uh, And I certainly didn't think I'd be doing this and talking to you today, but I wouldn't change it, you know, for the world now. And a lot, a lot of things changed. And and I think now that's some of the value I bring, because I had the context of education, right? But through what I've built and through the networks I'm building, the connections and that kind of stuff, I'm able to translate that to the school context and really serve uh, those those leaders I coach. Before the break, I want to ask you one more question. You mentioned like crises after crises. And I know that uh, a lot of school leaders feel just overwhelmed by the crises and emergencies and the urgency of, of these things. And so how do you keep a vision or an institution moving forward without getting caught up in the tyranny of the urgent? The tyranny of the urgent is such a great phrase to describe what the last 12 months have been. (laughs) Um, I love that. I'm going to have to use that. Um, So I, again, not to be cliched, but I have really communicated to my team and to my entire uh, community that we cannot let this moment go to waste. So um, this is, talk about a, a ruckus making year a year of disruption. And yet we know, so, you know, we've had disruption from the global pandemic. We've had disruption from the racial unrest and reckoning that we're going through. Disruption over economic crises in so many different sectors. And especially where we are in in Northwest Pennsylvania, political divide. And so these overlapping kind of intersecting challenges could easily stop anyone in their path. But we also know for higher education, there's a demographic cliff looming out there where there are going to be fewer students going to college. So we have to take the urgency of the moment and use it to transform who we are and what we do. You know, as a literature scholar, there's a great phrase from uh, a book I happen to have, which is uh, Lampedusa's The Leopard. And basically they say it's about the aristocracy in Sicily while Italy was unifying. This phrase of if you want things to stay the same, they have to change. But the flip side of that is if we're not going to make change ourselves, the world is going to change for us in ways that we don't have control over. So I think this is the best moment to say we need to change who we are and what we do so that we have our own agency moving forward. Hmm. So what I'm hearing you say essentially is like change is a constant. It's going to happen. It's given, but it's your choice if you want to participate in what that change looks like or not. Well, that's just it. And, you know, you go back to in some ways, higher education for all the upheaval that we've gone through it's not radically different now from what was invented in the Middle Ages with the professor and the group of students and how we impart knowledge. So the reality is the the kind of overarching narrative stays the same. But if we want that to continue to happen, 
we have to be able to navigate the change in ways that we want to proactively. Uh, so we have to come up with the things that are most essential moving forward to support students, to support the world, and graduate leaders who are actually going to be equipped to deal with, I'm sure, more and more and more overlapping challenges that are going to come our way. So you're absolutely right. We have to own the change because we can't just bury our heads and say, we like what we have. We're just going to stick with this because the reality is higher education is under fire for the high cost, for people questioning the value, right? What's the return on this investment? Do we need broad liberal educated people in this day and age? So we have to kind of own our narrative and prove our relevance which is why it's exciting for me to be at a place that's trying to do that through, you know, an intersectional approach, at, just as the world is becoming more intersected. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good place uh, for us to, to pause for a message from our sponsors. But I do have a few more follow-up questions if you have some time, Hillary, after the break. Absolutely. Learn how to successfully drive school change and help your diverse stakeholders establish priorities and improve practice in leading schools, a certificate in school management and leadership course from Harvard. Topics include vision and goal setting, root cause analysis, organizational alignment, innovation, and more. Leading Schools runs June 16th to July 14th, 2021. Apply by June 4th, enroll by June 10th, Get started at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. That's betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash Harvard. Are you automatically tracking online student participation data during COVID? Innovative school leaders across the country have started tracking online student participation using TeachFX because it's one of the most powerful ways to improve student outcomes during COVID, especially for English learners and students of color. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. That's teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Today's show is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder develops the skills and habits all students need for success. During these uncertain times of distance learning and hybrid education settings, Organized Binder equips educators with a resource to provide stable and consistent learning routines so that all students have an opportunity to succeed, whether at home or in the classroom. Learn more at OrganizedBinder.com. All right, and we're back with Dr. Hillary L. Link, the first female president of Allegheny College. We talked about her untraditional path to the presidency, the value of outside perspectives in our work, and uh, really how to lead through crises and not get uh, completely overwhelmed by them, but to really still make a substantial change happen that is in our control. So, Dr. Link, Hillary, you know, it's, it's beautiful and it's wonderful to think about what it's like, you know, being the first female president. And that's one part of your story. But you also mentioned how you're the first working mom president as well. And uh, that, I'm sure, adds another layer of complexity to the equation as well. So I, I just like to create some space to, to hear about that experience and how you think through it. Uh, because, you know, I think a lot of our listeners are in the same boat. 
Yeah, no, thanks for asking the question. It's definitely something that I think a lot about, um, both because I get young women who come to me and say, right. you know, I'm, I've always thought I wanted to have a family, but I'm torn because I think I want to have a big demanding career. So how do you do it? And often mm -hmm. I say, well, it's not pretty, um, but it's doable. Uh, I think it's been really interesting because you kind of hit on the really interesting um, tension, which is it, people say it's about time that Allegheny had a female president after more than two centuries. But mm -hmm. mothers inevitably approach their work and the way they divide their time may be different even from working fathers. The way that I leave the institution, the way that I build collaborations and relationships, I think it is gendered in the sense that I can't separate out who I am as a working mom who's always had to multitask and compartmentalize and who I am as a strong leader of a very historic, traditional uh, higher education institution. So um, to me, it's been, it's exciting in a way to be the first. Mm -hmm. um, I think I often take people by surprise or they, without knowing it, might have their own sense of what a female president, a, a working mother president mm -hmm. acts like and looks like. But you definitely run up against gender stereotypes as well. Tell me about the surprise of it. That, that piques my interest. I'm sure it piques the ruckus maker's interest as well. So I think, um, I think what's really interesting, and, and this is in part because many people who are here at the institution I'm at have been here under previous presidents who uh, were men and had different leadership styles just because of who they were. And I think one of the interesting things is that people are still trying to sort out as with me as a woman, where the line is between being a strong, determined, authoritative decision maker but also someone who arrives at those decisions in a very non-authoritative way. I'm a collaborator. I am, and this comes from having lived overseas, right? I believe in sourcing out lots of different people's opinions because I know from my own experience, again, someone else is standing in a different place. They're seeing this issue different from how I'm seeing it. So, I like to describe my decision-making process as really iterative and collaborative, but the reality is once I arrive at a decision, I don't change it be as long as I know how I got there, why I got there, and I can explain the why behind it. And I think people sometimes are taken aback by my determination and kind of the steeliness with which I push back once I make a decision. Ah. And at the same time, wanting to understand why people might be on the opposite side of things. So here's a great example. There was a lot at, at every high school, college, K through 12, everything, so much tension and anxiety over the summer over whether to reopen or not. Mm -hmm. And as was totally to be expected and understandable, we had faculty who were very anxious about the college reopening. Right. 
and um, they signed a petition against uh, my decision to reopen the college. And uh, when I received that, I did what I felt was the best way to proceed. I called up every single one of them and set up a time to talk to them for half an hour. <laughs> um, and I think that just took a lot of people aback because that wasn't what they were expecting, because it was it was a really hard decision. We were in a moment where no one knew what all of this was going to look like. So I wasn't going to bend on my decision, but I really did want to talk to them and understand their perspective, where they were coming from, even if it wasn't going to change my eventual decision. It really did help inform how I moved forward from there. Yeah, well, uh, I really admire that, right? The, um, often when we hear criticism or a petition or, you know, when it shows up like that, uh, it's very easy to take things personally or to get frustrated or to go into um, the defensive, which is more offense, right? Like in attack mode. Uh, and I appreciate what I heard you say is you scheduled a 30-minute, which is a, a good amount of time to sit down and hear that person's perspective. At the end of the day, you still had the decision you made, but what is what makes that such a pro move is that everybody uh, can say, you know, I was seen and heard in that moment, right? And that factored into how you all proceeded. So uh, thank you for sharing that. One, one more question I have for my classic last two questions would be uh, just your approach to balancing uh, strength. And it, it kind of actually builds on what we were just talking about being accessible. So how, how do you balance that strength and accessibility with engaging folks on a personal level? You know, it's, it's something I've um, spent a lot of time thinking about, especially over the last year, because as you know, you and all of your listeners know anyone in higher education or education in general right now is really um, getting a, a target for a lot of people's own fear, anxiety, uh, sense of uncertainty, and you know, frustration at the world. The world is a really frustrating place. I think the it's it's a challenge because I am naturally kind of a warm, um, again, collaborative, interactive person, but I have been forced because of my role over the last year and even beyond before that to make really hard decisions that have really personal impacts on people who work here, people who are in the community. And so on one level, um, you know, it's about, you mentioned something about this, it's about depersonalize, right? And so even though I feel like I'm somebody who puts a thousand percent of myself in everything I do, who I am, how I lead, how I teach, how I do things is so about who I am as a person. But at the same time, when you're making these really hard decisions, you do have to depersonalize, understand that Sometimes people's pushback has nothing to do with you and that they have every right to make, you know, to question decisions. But it's a it's a real balance. And again, to go back to, I think I have the ability to be authoritative. But again, my having lived abroad on multiple occasions in my life means I really am constantly trying to see through other people's eyes. 
and understand what they're really trying to say when they're saying X. And that's something I'm sure you can relate to. When you speak another language, it doesn't matter how fluently you speak it, you're always trying to understand like the nuanced sense in the words people select to use instead of others, the tone with which they're speaking. And as a linguist myself, these are things that fascinate me on an intellectual level but they totally influence how I approach conversations and leadership decisions and management and how I move through the world. So it's really interesting when all those things kind of come together. Right. Hillary, if you could put a message on all school marquees around the world for just a day, what would your marquee read? So I'm going to riff on my favorite Renaissance uh, thinker, Leon Battista Alberti, who in 1434 wrote a treatise on painting. And the basic uh, paraphrasing is change where you stand, change what you see. Mm. And tell me about building your dream school. If you had no limitations, your only limitation was your imagination. How would you build your dream school? What would be your top three priorities? So... It would be so exciting to do that. Um, (laughs) The first thing is I would make it team-oriented and problem-based. So what are the big issues that we want to try to dig into in a group? The other would be, and this won't surprise you, a multidisciplinary approach where, again, you're pulling together people from lots of different viewpoints to work and think and share and challenge all together. And then, and I say this again as a mother of three kids, one in elementary school and two in high school, what I would do is create a combination of structured skill-based learning, which the Italian system has really taught me is so important, but then space for students to apply those in those big uh, problem areas that I think we should try to be solving. Hillary, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Oh, gosh, so many things. Again, Whether you have the opportunity to live somewhere else or you never leave your chair, trying to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and to see the world from a different perspective always shifts how you look at things. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed. Mm-hmm.